Welcome to Read the Room, the only podcast championing the hope of the gospel that was launched during the COVID lockdown. My name is Mike Wardrop. This is Katie Isles. And today we are talking about how to build a discipling culture across the church in Australia and how to be a Baptist without really trying. But Katie, before we go there, you are somebody who travels quite a bit for work. You don't just work as an associate Do pastor. Do I sound like a jerk? Do you make me sound like a jerk? Uh, sorry, I've got a plane to catch. Well, you do when you sound like that. You sound super bougie, yeah. Would you like to come to the Virgin Lounge with me? You can make toasties. <laughs> I think you do need – we can make toasties on the end of that sentence to make it sound a bit less creepy and, and a bit less like grooming. You've got a mid-range sparkling you can have as a little afternoon tipple. <laughs> Well, that just shows you don't have entry to the Qantas Lounge. But, Katie, talk to us about... <gasps> That's um, the meanest thing you ever said to me. <laughs> it probably is. Uh, talk to us about the fact that you actually are going to fly a plane. How are you feeling about that? I'm actually feeling great. I've been feeling weirdly oh, yeah? claustrophobic, not being able to In little travel. old Adelaide without 800-meter no, blocks. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I know. I love being here, but like being on a plane, that's alone time. Yeah. Being in a hotel, that's alone time. I mean, I love the people. I love the children's. Yes. But I love the hotel times when no one is talking to me. Probably add that you have two small children and so alone. With the strength of ten children. Living currently with your mother in law as your house gets renoed. So there is uh, I'm living all the dreams right now. All the dreams. But you get to do a (laughs) podcast with us. Do you feel stressed at all about going on a plane and catching COVID? I kind of that's like the one thing that I look at and I'm like, oh, I don't know that I want to catch a plane particularly right now. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just feel like I am the eternal optimist. Like on any personality profile I've ever done, I'm always like off the charts optimistic. So I'm yeah. like, it's going to be great. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be amazing. I get America's had a half a million people, but you know what? Heck, I'm yeah. going on a plane and I just will just not touch anyone and I won't breathe. And it'll be, I can hold and my you, breath from here to Cairns. Right. And you go to Cairns. It's not like international visitors go there or, or to the Queensland in general. The Great so Barrier Reef's not a thing, you guys. It's not a thing. Well, that's kind of sad when you say it that way. Maybe it won't be. Well, we're bleaching but, it. So soon enough, it won't be a thing. Oh, that's well, dreadful. That is terrible. Yeah, don't say that. Now, now the dolphins are copying it again. This is not a dolphin-friendly podcast. Hawksy. Yeah, mate. Um, we are going into talk with Dale and Edie Stevenson today. We had an amazing interview with them. Just what great, of, great people. I was just about to say that. Just two of the loveliest human beings. And just so good humoured. I love yes. that. Like I feel like they've gotten older without getting cranky. Yes, quite the opposite. Quite I'm, the opposite. I'm crankier than they are. Yeah. In my defence, I have two I'm small not. children with the strength. You're, I'm a delight. Mike, you were never not cranky. Yeah, I know. It's just you've got like cool glasses and tight jeans now and everyone's like, oh my gosh, senior pasta. Yeah, no, the, the tight jeans that I hold it in more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the spanks for men. <laughs> That's right. Please you take me seriously. I go I, to the gym, I swear. I had a conversation about spanks with your husband this morning too. What is it with your family and spanks? Anyway. In what context were you discussing that? It's irrelevant right now. I'd like to leave you in the mystery. But. Let's go back to Dale and Edie for a second because really what we're talking about with them is their main passion, which is discipleship. So they they lead, or Dale specifically, is the senior pastor of Crossway Church and Edie's on staff there as well. Biggest Baptist church in the country. It, it, is, it is a monolith. It does an immense amount of stuff, but their main game is discipleship. And discipleship is the thing in the church that we're constantly banging on about and going, we've got to make disciples. And so often we have absolutely zero way of quantifying that. And somebody says, and I think Dale, I don't know if he shares this in the pod, I can't remember, but he specifically talks about, um, I've had a conversation with him where he talked about that was kind of the main game for them. They came to this point where they're like, how do you make a disciple? And his team just sort of looked at each other blankly and they went like, well, there's a problem here. And that's what started to change things. Yeah. And yeah, so they pioneered this program, Building a Discipling Culture. Yes. And it's all funded through um, philanthropy. Yes. And they've got these Christian philanthropists who just want to see the church grow and they don't care, you know, which denomination oh, they amazing. care that you want to preach the gospel and make disciples who make disciples. Yep. What, what do you think it is about discipleship? I mean, it is kind of amorphous, right? Like people, <laughs> we love to say things like it's sitting at the feet of Jesus, like, Okay, yes. <laughs> Explain to me what that is. No, what, do you, what do you think it is that makes this so difficult for the, the I church? think because it requires um, middle-class affluent Australians who are very, very good at, you know, just caring about me and mine and being respectable, not ruffling any feathers. We're in a radically secular post-Christian 
um, culture. Mm. And if you want to know more about that, you can listen to the poor cousin of this podcast, This Cultural Moment. The beloved older brother to the poor foster sibling that is <laughs> we were Read saying, the Room. Like Read the Room is like the awkward, weird cousin that This Cultural Moment <laughs> has to invite to Christmas dinner purely because they're related. <laughs> no, Mark, like, oh. John Mark, we're still waiting on that invite to Christmas dinner, but that's fine. <laughs> Love you guys. Oh, my stars. In Melbourne, not Portland right now, if you don't mind, John Mark, sorry. I feel like you'd want to be, I don't know what's worse. Uh, I'm pretty sure I do. <laughs> Right now, COVID era? Anyway. Heck. Anyway, suffice to say, we were tossing around calling this podcast This Cultural Wet Market for a while. Yeah. Because I don't it know started that we were. During we just lockdown. thought it was funny. It was. We are hilarious. Yes. We also are the virus. We're the problem. And but I think when it comes to discipleship, to here's the thing. Anytime when it requires people to do something or to go out of themselves or to reach out is when we enter into this place. It's like we've, right. got, we've got this spiritual paralysis tick. And it gets into our skin and it burrows under our skin. And then when we go to move, it stops 100%. us from doing it. Because what we want is, because we're very busy and important, is mm-hmm. we want to come to church and have somebody love on us and tell us that God's got a great plan for our lives and sing the songs that we like and have a great coffee and catch up with our come friends. On, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with yes. that. However, if that's all that it is, then we've missed the point of what it means to be the church. This is why the persecuted church prays for the middle class Western church. Yeah, you're, you're dead right. How you're, embarrassing. You're dead right. I think the other thing is that discipleship is a process and it's Ooh. a long-term process. There is nothing sexy about the idea of long obedience in the same direction. What a book. With all due respect to the great Eugene Peterson. There's nothing sexy about rest. that idea because it's just like your whole life. And what yeah. we really want to do is go to some worship event or go have a specific uh, moment or this prayer event where it's like, now it is done. I have reached the peak. I am a Christian, capital C. I am a disciple, capital D. We want that because we're lazy. I'm lazy. That's for sure. I'm not trying to point fingers here. I do it all the time. Yeah. And I find, uh, on a side note, you know, we've talked about Alpha already on this podcast um, in episode one with Melinda Dwight. I find doing the Alpha in a year, the uh, Bible in a year with Nikki Gumbel, such a helpful part of that discipleship process because day after day after day you go back to that well you build those spiritual disciplines and there's a part of me that rebels and like screams inside at the idea of doing something consistently like that but it is such a helpful practice i missed a day and now and now for the rest of the year i won't be able to say i was devastated and then i was mad and then i missed why don't you just do it i did do it but i missed the day and so it's like so me too i lost the streak anyway Clearly, I need to convert to Islam. New version is now. the new Snapchat for Christians. I blame without Craig Rochelle. To do. If Craig Rochelle had done more push-ups publicly, I wouldn't be in this mess. Anyway, suffice to say, discipleship is one of those things that that I don't think we have a great language for and a great framework for. But these guys have found it and they're yeah. rolling it out, and it's as simple as asking someone if they want to read the Bible yes. with you. And it just seems like the freaking weirdest thing in the world that you would sit down and say to somebody. But I mean. It works. Heck. It unbelievably works. Yeah, man. Well, without further ado, why don't we throw it to Dale and Edie, and we hope you just are so blessed by this conversation. We are so privileged to have Edie and Dale Stevenson with us today. We're so thankful for you guys for making time on Read the Room. So welcome. Uh, Dale and Edie have been heading up Crossway Baptist for many, many years, and the many affiliations out of that were just something I'm very interested in talking about. Um, mm. because Crossway seems like a complicated and exciting piece, as well as BDC, which um, Edie's heading up, and uh, the, the, many, the, the many goods and graces that have come to the Australian mm. church through that. So mm. thanks so much for giving us your time today. A pleasure, an it's, absolute pleasure. It's a joy. Yeah. Amazing. So how long have you guys been married? 35 years. How many of them have been good years? <laughs> uh, which, which year was that one? Um, no. <laughs> There's always one year. There's always one There's year. There's always one year. Probably between child two and three. No, we, right we now. really wrong. Uh, we're, look, we're really good mates. Um, and uh, so the, it's been a very good journey. But like any male, like 35 years, you're still going to have your, your really challenging periods. Everyone has that. I don't think you're being real if you don't have those. But uh, we're, we're best friends as well as lovers and partners and all those other sorts of good things. Yeah. Four yeah. kids, they're all great. We like How them as well. How much of that time, time has been spent um, leading Crossway or ministries? Oh, ministry, all 35. Yeah, all 35. This is our, we're finishing our 13th year at Crossway. 
we were 12 years in Mornington. We were seven years at Blackie North, which is now New Hope. We were two years at Cape and Ray Bible College. We're walking backwards here. And we were one year <laughs> in Israel running a youth hostel. And that's that was from and the month after we got married. That's all 35 years. So I've been involved in ministry and leadership the whole time. That's yeah, the only, only thing we've done in married life. A, a year running a youth hostel in Israel. Can we just touch on yeah. that for a minute? That's a heck of yeah. a honeymoon, Eddie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So a month after we were married, um, Dale had been invited, a, a couple who ran a youth hostel in Elat in the south of Israel uh, came to Cape and Ray where we were both working and they had invited Dale because he was an evangelist and this guy was just a rampant evangelist and he invited Dale to go and be part of the team there. And this was a little bit of a test for him because we had already started a relationship and Dale said to him, uh, would there be room for two people rather than one person? And uh, he said, sure, there's room for two people. So we decided we'd get married and then we'd go out there the month afterwards. And um, sure enough, we were live-in managers. So we lived in the back room of the youth hostel and we, you know, opened the gate at six in the morning and we locked the gate at 11 at night and we washed the sheets and cleaned the toilets and booked in people. Yeah, Jesus for the sake of people. Four, four nights a week there was like an evangelist Bible study because people were like carrying their backpacks around Israel. It's the land of the Bible. So yeah. say, if you want to come and we, we're going to talk about the Bible, we had a supercar, which is a palm hut on the property. In the supercar, you know, tonight we're going to be talking about the Bible. So you get all these backpackers from around the world. Our number one client base was Israel. Number two was German. Yeah. And number three was American. And then it was all everywhere, you know, Europeans. And so, you know, four times a week we'd sit down, we'd have kind of 15 or 20 people there from just all over the place mm. and we'd open up the Bible, we'd share Jesus with them. It was a fantastic work. Mm. We saw a lot That's of people. Wild. Put their their Amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. And now you're slumming it in Melbourne. Yeah. That's right. Summer, yeah. Suffering for Jesus. Yeah, totally. Like, totally. I mean, that used yeah, to be yeah. far more of a joke line than it has been in 2020 probably. But, mm. you know. Yeah, come on. We had, yeah. we had 112 <laughs> yeah. days of a hard lockdown. So yeah, yeah, we're yeah. in for we the most We had three. Yeah. yeah. We had yeah, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we were the most livable city in the world and then we became the most lockdown city in the world. And it was uh, it's kind of like the, uh, the flip side of the card. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean. Leading Crossway must be a, a pretty fascinating exercise because I think, you know, I, I met you guys at the lovely uh, Pearl Beach and um, a lot of this interview is just me angling for a second invite, frankly. But <laughs> the, the, one of the things that I, I, I felt really fascinated about was the way you describe Crossway as obviously it's, this, it's you know, it's probably a mega church and the way people would describe what a mega church is, at least in an Australian context. But the disparate nature of the congregations, first of all, like you, at least one Mandarin congregation, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. We, Mandarin, Cantonese, Korean, Indonesian, and English. English. Right. So, so two Mandarin congregations, two Cantonese, two Indonesian, one Korean, and five English-speaking congregations. Okay. And just before COVID hit, we were just shy of 5,000 people physically showing up on a weekend. Right. Wow. So that's a lot. Plus... Missional Communities, yep. Praxis. Men's Shed. Men's Shed, which Katie <laughs> which is. Which is now gone. No. <laughs> if, you, if you need that back up and running, Katie is interested. And okay. and, um, and and a variety, of course, of, of like life groups, connect groups. Sure. Yeah. So I guess my first question is how, but that's probably too long a question. So let's, let's go with why this model of ministry? Ooh. Sure, okay, that's a big one. Can that I, is a big one. Can I kick off with that one? Sure. So a crossway at its heart has always looked beyond itself. It's in the DNA of the it's in the DNA of the place. It was in the DNA of Crossway prior to us getting there. It would manifest an international mission. So we're ascending church, and we currently have 73 sent workers from Crossway across Australia and, and around the world in some of the really the toughest and most dangerous environments of the world. We have sent workers. So it was always in, in the heart of the church. And, uh, and then we started increasingly manifest it uh, to those really doing life tough in our local community that's called Crossway Life Care. Mm. Uh, we took up Coach, which was something that uh, got born while we were down in the morning to Peninsula out of the church there. But we ended up getting transferred over to Crossway. And uh, so now there's 122 churches around Australia and in Britain who run that. It's community mentoring. 
family, youth, kids. There's now financial coach and Indigenous coach and Chinese coach. Mm. And, uh, and then uh, so Praxis was born out of Crossway. ARC was born out of Crossway, which is about um, uh, foster, foster care. Uh, building Discipling Culture was born. So we're now, we're now coaching uh, 83 churches from 11 different denominations with about 40 churches sitting in the wings. Hopefully mm. we'll be getting on board next year. We're one of them, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and we're in a global conversation around that as well. So it's, it's always been in a heart. Here's probably a, a very simple way of putting it. As best as we can understand it, it's never supposed to stop with you. You're not a bucket, you're a conduit. Mm-hmm. So whatever God's done in you, it's so God can do it through you. Mm-hmm. And we've always carried that. We've always carried in our heart the whole idea of multiplication. You know, the parable of the sower, well, good, you know, and, and, uh, the, and the parable of the talents with, with, with the sower, you know, bring uh, the good soil 30, 60, 100 times as much. And in that parable, uh, when we realized that we were both the farmer who sowed the word of God and we were the ground, what sort of ground were we? And uh, so I think Jesus was integrating the whole idea of multiplication you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. In Luke, it says you've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of 10 cities. And we start to realize whatever he was doing in us by way of development of character and competency with a few things, we're so eager to deploy it more broadly. And so we just perpetually lent. And by faith, you know, bold faith is, is um, a dare to dream is one of our core values at Crossway. And so we try to get that into our DNA and keep stretching it out. We just kept meeting God there. And the more we think beyond ourselves, the more we take bold risks, God would meet us there uh, with provision. He'd kick doors open, all sorts of things like that. Mm. And, uh, and we just repeatedly stand in awe at, uh, at the sort of opportunities he throws before us. So that's so beautiful and so encouraging to see the story that God's writing through, you know, your availability mm. and just determination to, mm. you know, partner with him. But my question is, in the church, there seems to be you're either a crossway or you are house church movement or not yeah. a crossway. And like, and, you know, and, and you might be struggling and you, you know, you're struggling to break three, four, five hundred and you've got culture wars going on and people are comfortable in their seats rather than share. Like, what do you say? What do you see, I suppose, first of all, and what would you say to the churches and the leaders who are struggling and feeling like they're failing because they're not crossway? Now, Katie, one of the things you're going to have to realise in this dynamic duo here, I'm an absolute infielder in baseball terms. Like you hit the ball, I'm catching it and throwing it back. It is an outfielder. You sky the ball. She wants to run around for a while. She'll give a much better answer, generally speaking, because she's thought it about a bit longer. I'll kind of give you kind of responses like this. So sometimes I just need to pause and look this way. And then if she's still running around in the outfield, then I'll spill whatever kind of beans that, you know, I've kind of got on on the infield here. So I'm I'm happy to give it a crack. And then Edie will probably back it up with a a more thoughtful response. Australian Christian, to say Australian Christianity is stuck is generous. Yeah. To say it's paralysed as far as stewardship of the gospel is closer to the truth. Now, that doesn't matter what size church you are. So whether you're a church of 50 or that kind of two, three to 500 zone or kind of really big one, uh, uh, ch- Christianity in our nation, it's the Western Christian model to say it's stuck is generous. It takes 100 worshipping Christians a full year, men, women and children, to see one person cross the line, put their faith in Jesus. We just don't know how to steward the gospel. We don't know how to disciple people towards faith in Jesus. Like we really, it's, I thought I had a sober assessment about the faith in our nation and what I've now discovered is I was very optimistic. It was much worse than I thought it was. Mm. So, so my, my words to uh, churches are three, four or five, don't try, and, don't try and be like a really big church. You don't need to be. Just be who and what you are. Generally speaking, churches are way over-programmed and they're, they're trying to do way too many things. So we say, look, you can probably achieve more by doing less, but by doing differently. Jesus worked with a few for the sake of the many. I think he's the master discipler, and as the master discipler, he pulled aside 12 out of a huge crowd. Mm-hmm. He worked with them, and even out of that 12, there was a three. And Peter and James and John got a completely different treatment than the rest of the 12 did. And then there was a 72, then there were the masses. And so I'd I'd actually say to to the churches, look, review what you're doing. Look at your missional impact. 
just don't try and do everything. And just don't be so beholden to program. Step back a little. I think COVID-19 has turned all the tables over. It's a great opportunity to pause mm. and to check and to, to have a clearer eye around missional impact that's got more of a discipleship grid on it mm. and, uh, and then kind of re- review wisely and don't self-validate by being busy. Be a little bit more kind of strategic. And if I, if I had one other thing to say before I throw it in Edie's direction <laughs> where you get a more considered response, um, don't think that culture is immovable. Culture can be curated. Mm. Wise leaders do curate culture. And, and I think culture, like a house sitting on foundations, is very hard to move, but you can lift culture off its foundations just like you lift a movable house mm. with your vision, your values, your vocabulary, the sort of vehicles you use to get from here to there, whatever ministry vehicles you're using, like Alpha or Youth Ministry or whatever you might use, and then your, your evaluation, what you evaluate. So culture can be curated just like a, a curator at a golf course. So you, you genuinely, you don't have to be a victim of a dysfunctional culture. You can curate a really positive culture. Mm. And so I'd say out of the three to five hundreds um, uh, size of church, and honestly, so I'll say this as, as pleasantly as I can. I couldn't give a rip what size a church is. Honestly, I couldn't give a rip. I'm far more interested in their impact. Mm-hmm. And, and that can happen at all sorts of different sizes of churches. And, um, and that's, why we're, that's why we're coaching churches with building this up in culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess um, I think your question was um, for those outside of Crossway and Crossway, and we have absolutely no desire whatever to promote Crossway. Um, couldn't care less, really, uh, if people hear the name of Crossway or not. But every desire to promote the name of Jesus, mm. that is who and what we are. So we will do anything um, to, to promote the name of Jesus. And so being willing to, um, and I think one of the things is it's not, it's not a Crossway thing. But what we're doing both in Crossway and with BDC is going back to the principles that Jesus used. So we talk about the ways, the words, and the works of Jesus. And most churches are familiar with the words and the works, but very few people actually give any uh, credence or attention to the ways of Jesus. Why did he do what he did the way he did it? And that's what we are seeking to do um, at Crossway is actually going back to basic principles of looking at Jesus and how he did ministry and why he did it the way he did it. And can we copy that? Because it's worth actually looking at the way Mm -hmm. he did it. And it doesn't matter what size church you are, you can go back to looking at the ways of Jesus Mm -hmm. and start implementing that for your church. We talk about uh, the mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. So one of the churches I coach has five people in it. They're a little house church. But we're engaging with them because they can be disciples that multiply. They can be on mission, and they're five people. You know, some of the other churches we're coaching have thousands in it. It's the same principle. What did Jesus do? He empowered people. It's not about the hired holy worker. Um, and the consumeristic, uh, you know, people coming, showing up every week. But it's actually mobilizing people who know and love Jesus, wherever they are, whatever they do, um, to be Jesus in that environment. So size really doesn't matter. Um, obviously, you have a greater uh, hearing audience, the bigger the church, but it really doesn't matter. Uh, so it's about, you know, looking again at what Jesus did, how he did it. Yeah. And, and refocusing on that. Can I throw one more little piece in there? A shift of paradigm. Western Christianity says you've got to get them converted and then you disciple them. Mm. I think that's Western. And then once you get them converted, you want to grow them, train them, and mobilise them. That's a real Western kind of mindset. Mm. We, that's, that wasn't the way Jesus did it. Mm. So for Jesus, discipleship began at first point of contact. He discipled them towards faith in him mm. and then to a life of faith with him. Yeah. And so this kind of repositioning of, of the disciple uh, of the discipling process, which opens up a whole zone of challenge. Now, in that zone, he rapidly mobilised. He did in situ training. Growth was a byproduct. That's mm. the reverse order to the Western model. 
the Western model says we've got to get them converted first. Now we're going to grow them, then train them, then mobilize them. Jesus, did, Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to rapidly mobilize them. In situation, I'll train them. Growth is going to be is going to be a byproduct, and somewhere in there will be the conversion experience. What so drives we, that Western mentality? What drives that tradition? History. Getting it right. We've got a ticket. Yeah, control. I, I think so. I think so. I think we think unless we get it right, we have the right words, the right information. It won't work yeah. rather than actually Jesus sent out a bunch of ragtag disciples and they messed up and they failed, but they were his plan A. Yeah. Mm. And they wrong were sense of the end game too, do you think? Pardon? Wrong sense of the end game maybe as well and the goalposts? Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. Look, uh, we, we, we've, we now have had a number of people who've brought the good news of Jesus to their friend, their friends put the trust in Jesus, but they've not been a Christian themselves yet. So the evangelist is not yet a Christian. But we've empowered them with some rather simple tools on how to read the Bible with a friend. So someone's discipling them. They now start discipling somebody else around the word of God. Simply, you know, you read it together out loud and you reflect on it. There's a little bit of structure we put around that, but it's not complex at all. Anyone can do it. We train primary schools how to do it. We're all about to senior citizens. And so we've had people who've been mobilized. They're not, they have yet to put their faith in Jesus, but they've discipled their friend where their friend actually puts their faith in Jesus before they do. Yeah. So when you start to have evangelists who are not yet Christians, mm. but they are in process of being discipled towards faith in Jesus, you realize you're starting to touch models that are not Western. Yeah. And, and as you say this, Dale and Edith, like, I, I immediately think of DBM, the Discovery Bible Method, and yeah. how, how helpful that has been. And, and we're just starting to, to see it take fruit in our church and, and people exploring right. and stepping out. and. Right. Um, I don't know. Do you want a free hit at one story out of DBM? And if you're listening to this or watching this, we'd love you to go online and Google DBM. We don't want to over talk about it, but it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, sure. Oh, you want to give one successful DBM story? Oh, my sure. goodness. Right. There's, there's, there's so many. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's one, which is a collective story. Edie and I trained about 120, 130 crossword people in how to disciple a friend towards faith in Jesus using Discovery Bible Method. We trained them one Wednesday, which includes the identification of a person of peace. Because Jesus, when he sent out the disciples, he said, find this sort of person in the village and you speak the blessing, it rests on them. Let them show you hospitality, etc." Mm. And so we equipped people how to identify that person. We equipped them with how to use the discovery above method. One week later, when we reconvened, we said, how many of you got that phrase out of your mouth? I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. Don't know whether you'd be interested to your person of peace. That 30 or 40 people raised their hand. We straight we put a microphone, just spontaneously started walking around. The first eight people in a row that we interviewed collectively and uniquely individually said, I was afraid. But the first person I asked said yes. The first person. Mm. Uh, and then some of them already were saying it already went to multiple people, they're already reading the Bible with, with, with multiple people. And um and uh I could tell you a story about Muhammad, who's a Muslim guy. I, uh, I trained an Anglican minister. He went to Muhammad. He said, Muhammad, I'm looking to read the Bible with someone. I don't know whether you'd be interested. Muhammad said, in my tradition, my faith, the Bible is a sacred book, but I've never read a verse from it. And uh, he said, it'd be my honor to read the Bible with you. Their first reading was from somewhere in Acts because someone believes and gets baptized. So it's an Acts text. And when you get to the back edge, where is, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Who are you going to tell? You know, a bit of a challenge at the back edge. And Muhammad said, oh, he said, I've got a whole network of Iranian Muslim friends who've never read a verse from the Bible. He said, I'm going to get some Persian Bibles. I, I'm going to do what you do with me with them. One week later, he comes back to the Anglican minister and the, and the Anglican minister says, how'd you go? And he said, oh, he said, I got my friends together. We, we read the same passage. We all reflected on it. We all talked about it. And when I said to the group, so what are we going to do about this? Who are we going to tell? One lady put up her hand and she said, I want to put my faith in Jesus like the man in this story, put his faith in Jesus. I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus like he was. So without skipping a beat, Muhammad said to the, to the minister, he said, so we baptized you in the name of Jesus. Well, what's lesson number two? <laughs> okay. Okay, there's, that's the story. And uh, some people we better to turn off the podcast about now and, and reject that story. Uh, but uh, that's but that, that totally turns on its head the whole thing of we need to train people for three years in seminary yeah. and then send them out. You know, yeah. this, this is allowing God's living and active mm. word to be God's living and active yeah. word, allowing the Holy Spirit. Uh, to, to engage with people. So rapid so. mobilisation. How about Ibrahim? Ibrahim comes to Crossway. 
He's also an Iranian Muslim. And he says his lead was, is there anything I can do here? He could put on the greeting team because he had a bright personality, which meant he was going to be at church week by week. The team always arrives early. Someone shares a quick thought from the Bible. They pray together. He's experiencing community, greeting people, welcome. He's saying, God bless you and all that sort of stuff. He's coming to church week by week. took about 12 months before Ibrahim put his faith in Jesus. Then he got baptized. Then only a couple of weeks later, he brought a friend to me and he said, um, I've been reading the Bible with this friend who was also Iranian and they've just put their faith in Jesus. And so Ibrahim uh, baptized him. And he's, and he's also uh, baptized someone else in sin as well. And so this rapid mobilization model, and if you think about Ibrahim as an example, his entry point was service. From that, he found community. From that, he found Jesus. He witnessed to his faith in Jesus. And en route, he learned how to disciple another person towards faith in Jesus. That's the discipleship journey. It's nonlinear. It's convoluted. It can be a little messy. But, uh, but um, we're seeking to do, to equip people to be disciples in order to multiply. Yeah, we're so grateful for that, just to have that model and that framework. I think um, like Mike and I were talking, I don't know, when it was a week or two ago around how, you know, you can listen to all this content that's coming out and you can see these churches and do all this stuff and you can end up feeling a weird paralysis or sense of just like overwhelming. I, I literally am not able to do this and you're just like ah you know and you're praying for you know a second wave so you don't have to think about it you know um (laughs) so you know i said to stop praying for that so you can get out of lockdown but um, stop praying for that kenny (laughs) and um like you know it's it's sort of that so like when you're meeting church leaders and when you're meeting with churches perhaps in the very early stages of coaching what are the if any are the common things that you see that keep churches stuck and keep leaders insecure or i don't know not dreaming you're talking about me yes who else would i be talking about so one of the things we say to pastors is if you can walk away from this walk away Mm. but if the pain of the paralysis is actually deep enough and painful enough then you need to do something about it so will they will they come to you? You know, with all the all the pastors that you meet with, do they self select in that and say, "I feel paralyzed," or "I feel inadequate," or "I feel like a total failure." I've lost touch. Do you? Find, I don't want yeah. to put words, but mm. sure. I want to get a real sense of what's going on. Yeah, they, they don't lead with that, but they they're looking for help, or, or they want the silver bullet that will transform they their program. church. They want a program. Most of them want a program. Do you have a book? Do you have a video we can Is watch program, yeah. that will change our church? And we say, no. sorry, no, we don't. <laughs> we, it's not a program we're running. That's why it's called building a discipleship culture. Well, as we're as actually, say, it, it's almost like a bit of a program bait and switch because it sounds like a program when you say totally. we're building a discipleship culture. Totally, totally. So, so, Katie, when you say what's common, uh, uh, absolutely common is fear. And people think it's just them, but it's, it's near universal in Australian Christianity. Uh, people experience fear with regards to because they don't know how to do it. So then they feel afraid because they've tried and failed. And so, it's, uh, so it, the shop window is fear. Of sharing their faith. A share, yeah, fear of sharing their faith because mm-hmm. they don't know how to do it. Fear of trying to disciple someone to faith in Jesus. What's behind that shop window that's not as acknowledged uh, is pride. It manifests as fear, but what are we afraid of? We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of losing faith. So that comes much closer to our pride or our ego and our sense of uh, security. So it manifests as fear. It's actually it's actually pride. But near universally, we don't know how to do it. And so um, Australian Christians en masse have said to themselves, I can't do this. They think they're the only one who said it, and they hope somebody else can. They certainly hope the pastor can or the minister can or the church can because they can't. <laughs> Jokes on them, though, am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sure. And so, so like, man, so, so, but when everyone is saying to themselves, I can't, a surprise, surprise, when I led with, you know, it's generous to say we're stuck, it's closer to the truth to say we're paralyzed. Mm. Well, that now is Australian Christianity. Mm. We're so stuck on that front of things and we just need to rediscover, okay, how do we disciple people towards faith in Jesus mm. as a lifestyle mm. that anyone can do anywhere, anyone, anytime, mm. you know, and, uh, and keep it simple without being simplistic, the sort of thing that a child can even implement mm. and uh, the rediscovery of what it looks like to disciple people towards faith. Mm. And I think one of the... Go ahead. No, you please. 
Well, I think one of the things we've seen in pastors who do, when we do talk to them, is almost relief that actually there is a way to change this. Because I think discouragement is a very real thing in pastors. We're going through, we're going through all this trouble, we're doing all this stuff, we're pulling rabbits out of the hat every week, but we're not seeing people coming to know Jesus. And it's Rick Warren who says, when the horse has died, it's time to get off. But for a lot of churches, they're sitting on dead horses, but hoping it's going to go a different place this year. And that's kind of scary. So I think for some pastors, it's, it's actually relief that there actually is hope when they hear some of the stories of churches changing. But it's got to involve them. Hmm. Uh, they have to develop a personal story of discipleship. They can't just teach it and tell the congregation to do it. They actually have to go on the journey too. Mm-hmm. And that, that's part of the whole thing of BDC. We won't do it unless the pastor of the church, he or she engages, and a, a team that he or she pulls around them, uh, and then that will ripple out to the rest of the church. Mm-hmm. So I think hope, um, relief is, is some mm-hmm. of the things we see in the pastors who come and chat to us. Yeah. One, of, one of the things that happened about a decade ago the more we lent into some of this thinking and practice, we started seeing every church knows what its weekend attendance is. Men, women, and children, you know, everyone's got a number for that. Like real people, not the invisible ones, like the ones who actually show up. And, um, and we started annually seeing a ratio of about 10% of that number annually would put their faith in Jesus for the first time. And when that happened for the first, you know, so if 100 people showed up, it's like having 10 people put their trust in Jesus. Uh, if 500 people show up, it'd be like having 50 people annually put their trust in Jesus for the first time. To get on that list, you need a name, contact details, and a story saying, I've never done this before, but I've put my trust in Jesus. Mm. And I'm, what he did on the cross, he did for me. that identifying him as their saviour and their Lord. And, uh, and also, so that's 10 times the national average. So initially we thought it was a good year, but then it just kept, kept happening year after year after year after year. And we started to get that sense of, okay, I think we think we're, we're touching something here. And, uh, and then we started having lots of churches coming to us saying, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, they'd look at our weekend service and they go, look, it's fine and all, but I don't think that's kind of your magic bullet. Like, there's 100 churches around the nation who are doing it as good or better. And so what, what else is happening there? And really it was when they started getting to the back room around uh, language and practice and what it looked like to disciple people towards faith and the empowerment of people, mm-hmm. the mission of God and the house of ordinary people. Mm. It's at that point that people are going, okay, hang on, we're seeing something different. There's an incredible alignment between your various ministries. Every ministry is a disciple-making ministry. Mm. Mm. And, um, and that's when we upscaled it. I was um, on a plane. I was flying from Adelaide to Melbourne um, to speak at Arrow, at one of their residential oh, yeah. thingamies. And, yeah. um, and on the way over, I was feeling a bit discouraged in pastoral ministry and I was just feeling like, oh, and I was on the plane and I just started praying and I said, God, we're working so hard. Things don't seem to be shifting. I'm tired. I, I said, would you show me what I'm missing? Would you show me a way forward? Would you show our church um, how to partner with you in what's next? Because I, I've run out of great ideas and I'm just now cranky and annoyed at comfortable Christians. And I'm not sure, you know, anyway. So I went and did the thing. And then a guy from your church talked to the crew over their lunch. And he shared, he was short and he had dark hair. I can't remember his name. Tim, Tim P.S.? Yes, that guy. Great man. Yep. And he um, shared about BDC. And yep. I burst into tears and everyone at the table was wow. just like, all right, psycho. <laughs> He's just talking about reading the Bible. And um, yeah. <laughs> So it was just funny how, like, I was one of yeah. those people and I was stressing out and I was randomly yeah. having had no idea, was praying yeah. that, and then four hours later, but I've been. Wow. So wow. Similar, similar story, different angle, is that I also ran across you at, at uh, Arrow First Tale uh, many years ago when I when Oh, I wow. And what you brought is how you measured information in a discipleship pathway across way. Yeah. And it really, yeah. really captured me because in the same way, there's something there, like I, I've got a marketing degree and a background in market research and that's something that has always interested me because I want to, I always want some sort of metric to, yeah. not to justify, but to show yeah. that something's working. But the, I think yeah. in Australia, well, everywhere okay. probably, we have yeah. really had limited metrics and it's always yeah. been how many dollars are coming in, how many yeah. bums on seats and we're yeah. lucky if we get past that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, and it, you know, if you're listening to this or watching this, please go download Crossways Annual Report and have a look at their metrics. And you touched on this earlier with the salvations. What do you mm. think are helpful metrics in this day and age to measure? Sure. Let, let me tell you the grid that we put that through because uh, that was formed long before I came to Crossway. Uh, those those ideas were formed about 20 years ago. Uh, here, here was the foundational question: Researchers say people make about 25,000 decisions a year. So we said to ourselves, what are the most catalytic decisions in the discipleship journey? Everyone's trying to make a disciple of Jesus. So let's think of that gold star version of it. And if we think of before they had faith in Jesus, in the journey to being that gold star version, whatever that is, uh, what are the half a dozen most catalytic steps or decisions that they take? Mm-hmm. So if they're making 25,000 decisions a year, can we can we boil it back to a half a dozen? Now, obviously, it's going to go back to people's understanding of the Bible. So I can tell you how, here's what we landed with. Uh, when a person puts their faith in Jesus, in our tradition, when they go public with that faith by being baptised, when they say, I'm not doing this alone, they step into community. They've got a sense of community with others. Mm-hmm. These are non-linear, by the way. Service, they say, it's not just about me receiving. Oh, I want to be able to give. So service. Um, Global view, commitment, global commitment to not just my neighbor or even my nation, but the world. Then finally, am I discipling another person towards faith in Jesus? Now, uh, I, say, I say to church leaders on a very regular basis, you might have a different half a dozen. Honestly, it just doesn't matter. Uh, but for us, that we saw in, as I said, nonlinear, you know, double helix DNA. Uh, I, told, I shared the story with, about Ibrahim before. You know, his entry point was service. And so then we measure those things because we think they are disciple-like steps. Mm-hmm. And it actually it gives us metrics on discipleship beyond how many people we just showed up, which is process. Mm-hmm. And I know the money thing is really important, as are your facilities. And how many people showed up, it's really important as well. It's not, it's not as if those things are important. We call those, uh, how many people showed up, how much money is given, what you're doing for facility. We call it pool data. Because mm-hmm. it's like a pool, okay, and but we call the other stuff stream data, mm-hmm. and we call them God desired outcomes. It's God who said that He would have that none should perish. So we think salvation is a God desired outcome. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, "Go and make disciples, baptizing them." So we think baptizing is a God desired outcome. So we establish these God desired outcomes. We then try and deal with the complexity around those decisions. We encourage people to take those steps. And so we can actually see them making discipleship progress. And, yeah, we've got some metrics around it then. That's awesome. Awesome. Mm. How do you you find leading together in ministry? I mean, I'm sure now it's pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, we we love it. We love it. We really do. We've always been in it together. Yeah, we have always been in it right, right from Israel and you know, Cape and Ray Bible College, we have, we've always been in ministry together. And actually when I had to step out for a little while when we've got four kids, yeah. uh, when I was more involved with them, I, I, I really felt a, a loss at not being as involved. We, mm-hmm. We've always had stuff happening mm-hmm. in our home mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. but um, we, we actually love serving together. It's mm-hmm. great. And, and to be able to do BDC now together is just like a win. Yeah, Take when it gets tricky. I can remember Edie, Edie asked me a question, and the question she asked me had a policy response from Crossway. So I quoted, the, she asked me a question, I quoted the policy. That and, wasn't good. And she paused, she paused, and she said, I want to talk to my husband, not the senior pastor. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of funny. So every, every now and then, and sometimes Edie will be all animated, like I've had it, I'm, I'm tired, I'm stressed. The last thing I want to talk about is church. And he's being all animated. Wanted to wear church. Wanted to wear people. And thought it is. I'm like, time out. I'm, I just I want some other space that's that's not talking about church and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And you know, we'll walk around the garden together, and like we re- really do enjoy hanging out together. And yeah. so it's just a lovely thing. We've developed a friendship. We're very different people. We'd either kill each other and drive each other crazy or we'd compliment and we've decided to compliment. Right. And, uh, and Killing is messy. Killing is really it's, messy. Yeah, it's really messy killing one another. <laughs> and uh, so we've learned to our diversity and we've learned to compliment one another and enjoy, enjoy our difference. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. 
No, please. All right. Yeah, I'll keep going. Um, this is actually just a much lighter version of when I just peppered you for two hours at dinner, Dale. So thank you for doing this again. Um, Can I just say, Mike, we came home. He was so excited to go on retreat with you guys. And he literally was just like, I, there was no way anyone was going to be sitting next to Dale except me. He's like, I, I, I would have given up everything else there was as there was no way he was escaping me. When my wife listens to this, I did not say I would give up Jenny for this. But oh, I don't love I, you anymore, Jen. I, it's over. Okay. You need to do I, the alpha. You know, anything except my wife. Yeah. Clarity, clarity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I'm, I'm interested in a few things. You guys are in uh, a, a stage of your life where you must be both. Careful, you, careful, careful, buddy. Careful. Where are you going? What are you saying? You're just starting, really, on this. We just get warmed up. Um, <laughs> you guys look great for older. your age. If you see anything about Twilight, they're like, uh, thanks, it's been lovely. We'll see you later, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk again about fear, Dale. Uh, and, <laughs> Age. No, I, I, I'm fascinated to know your, your senior leaders. You, you, you guys are whether you like this sort of title or not. In, in many ways, you looked on as, as really important leaders across the Baptist movement across the church in Australia as a whole. I'll name that so you don't have to. And how do you look ahead and be in? Like, uh, is no? Let me rephrase that. I would love to know about resilience. I would love to know about how you two have led together and loved one another well and raised children and yeah. been resilient and are still going in ministry. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah. I, I think some of that is um, your own relationship with the Lord. So it's, it's having that vibrant, vital relationship with God. And, yeah, I mean, we've gone through some yuck stuff at church, you know, you know, some of our most painful times have been, you know, members of a congregation saying and doing and calling, all that kind of stuff. But I think when you realize God's call is bigger than that, bigger than them, um, and that what leaded to Jesus was a lot worse. Um, so I, I think that keeps you going knowing that we're all broken people, we're all capable of doing the worst things to each other, but God has chosen to use us and he calls us on and he calls us up and he stands us up again when we fall down. Um, I think some of that is what has kept us going and that just that love for Jesus and his preparedness to use broken broken us to achieve what he wants um, so long as we remain in him, yeah. that, that's our responsibility. Mm. And so I think that's been, that's been one of our big things. Yeah. I'd say don't have tickets on yourself. That you're not as good as some people think you are. Yeah. But equally, I'd say you're not as bad as some people think you are either. I, I remember reading Watchman Nee oh, decades ago. I read this. He said, some people will build Watchman Nee up to heaven and some people will cast Watchman Nee down to hell, but Watchman Nee is the Watchman Nee. Mm. Just a sober assessment of himself, which amazingly sounds like Romans 12, 4. Uh, have a sober assessment of yourselves. Mm. And, uh, and so that, that sense of, um, look, having got tickets on myself, you've got to know how to get up again. Mm. Yeah. Really, if, you, if you're going to have a go, you definitely, so it's almost like saying to a child, oh, you can learn how to ride a bike without ever crashing it. Well, everyone knows you can't learn how to ride a bike without crashing it. Mm. It's all about getting on the bike again. If you're really going to learn how to ride the bike, you're going to have to learn how to get up. So that capacity to figure out how to get up again is really important. Mm. And yeah, so some of that whole grid on um, not having tickets on yourself, allowing God to wash you clean, just mm. like take a deep breath and go again, be restored. Mm. For, for each other, we are each other's best cheer squad. So we, we, do, we don't do the, you know, the Aussie sense of humour where you kind of denigrate for humour? We don't do that. We don't do, we don't do it with others. We don't do it with each other. Mm. So I'm in Edie's cheer squad and she's in my cheer squad. Mm. But home is my safest place on planet Earth, mm. second to my intimate relationship with God. He is my safest place. But I always home is my safe place. Yeah. And so therefore we can be transparent, we can be real, uh, uh, we can cry, we can talk it all through, but we have learned how to take a deep breath, get up and go again mm. and not allow our detractors to make declarations over our lives which would shred us 
mm. and it and has happened over the decades. I've, I've had people call me all sorts of different things, including a heretic. I preach a false gospel, that I'm arrogant, and you know, oh, blah, blah, blah. I've just had so many things said about me over the years. Mm. And, uh, and they tend to be people who really don't know you very well, and they're just speaking out of their brokenness. Mm. You just have to go, it's okay. Mm. It's okay. I do not live for their support. Because mm. you, you can't. If, if you are living for people's approval, you're dead in the water before you begin. Yeah. Mm. So with, with, convic- with personal conviction, I do believe in that sense of the call of God, and that sense of, you know, that he sows seeds of destiny in our hearts. And that we do well to kind of humbly hold on to those, but mm. nonetheless with bold faith kind of step forward with those. Mm. And I've, I've always believed in that. And, uh, and that, that just helps us to know how to get up again. And, and also not allowing the slurry or some of the weight mm. to stay with you, <laughs> but knowing what it is to be able to let, God deal with that, that our reputation is with him and it's safe with him. And really our reputation with others is up to God. Yes, right. Um, but not to let the, you know, what people do and say get you down and to be a victim to that, I think to be able to get up again and say, Lord, that, that's, that's yours. Yeah. I, I can't deal with that, so yeah. you've got to. I've got a metaphor on that. When we lived on the Mornington Peninsula, we actually had an ingrown pool. It was awesome. And there's this sand filter. So all the dirty water gets sucked out of the pool and it goes this way through this big round sand filter. And all the sludge builds up on the top. It becomes harder for the water to get through the more sludge you get. And the pressure gauge on the top goes over into the red zone. And once it's in the red zone, because there's too much sludge in the system, you've got to turn it all off, change the valves, and it's called a back flush. And you send the water in the opposite direction, except now it goes down the drain. Well, Christians, especially Christian leaders, have got to learn how to do a back flush <laughs> to get all the sludge out of their system. And the phrase I used is Christian leaders have got to learn how to travel light because mm-hmm. you, frequently you're carrying around weighty issues and people and unresolved scenarios and you don't know how it's going to work out and all that sort of stuff. But if you walk around looking like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders, you've, you're starting to get something wrong. Yeah, and uh, you know, as Jesus said, "Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden." Well, that sounds like your average Christian worker, doesn't it? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. Or, or when he when he said, um, uh, "Whoever believes in me," he said, "Come to me, who drink. If you're thirsty, come and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of their inmost being, will flow rivers of living water." We've got to figure out how to backflush the system so we can travel light in leadership. Mm-hmm. We can still have a good laugh. We don't take each other too seriously. Truth is your friend when you know you're loved. When you've stuffed it up, you go, oh, we tried that. It didn't work very well. Uh, and it's, I think it's like a redefinition of failure. Failure is not having a go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you had a go and it didn't work, well, you've learned something. Yeah. But you, you had a go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, there's an awesome quote. I can't remember who said it. It's about, you know, it's those who are in the arena out there and they've got bloody face and knuckles and grazed knees. Like, they're, they're the heroes. They're having a go and they're getting up again. That would be a great one to have memorised. I haven't got it memorised. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> you've got to get up again. Get up. Go. Good, yeah. That's good. Sometimes yeah. I think we mix up our accountability structures in church and we forget that we're missionally accountable. And so yes. you filter yeah. it through this thing of, well, can I justify this missionally? And if I can't, then it's off the table. It's mm. like, and that travels through so much, you know, of what we're doing. So that's so helpful. Mike, yeah. anything yeah. else? We're, we're taking up so much of your time. Oh, oh, that's, fine. Fine. that's fine. Hey, Katie, when I was younger I was my own worst boss I'm just hearing the way you just worded that grid there I was my own worst boss and I worked myself hard it wasn't God making me do the way I did it it wasn't the church making me do do the way I did it it was my own brokenness that made me do the way I did it and I did it for a long time and I really drove myself into the ground doing that Uh, I have learned to be kinder to myself and as a result I lead much better for putting a bit more margin into my life, traveling lighter, Edie and I doing well in, uh, in shared ministry and all those sorts of things. Mm. So it's not just about getting driven into the ground. Uh, with a church, any individual member's expectation of you is completely reasonable. But the collective of those reasonable expectations is completely unreasonable. <laughs> so they cannot set the agenda. Mm. Mm. 
you, someone, someone's, and we have to therefore take responsibility, self leadership, as as we under God, and obviously transparently accountable. All those sorts of good things we do it collegiately, but we set an agenda that is a lot more reasonable than the collective expectation of the individuals. Yeah. And then you can lead from a position of overflow, not from depletion. Mm, yeah. So good. Mm. Well, look, the last thing I was going to ask, guys, is just what would you say as um, either something you're seeing that fills you with hope or a message of hope for Australian church leaders in what's been an incredibly difficult year? Mm. Mm. I, I think one of the exciting things is in some ways coronavirus has turned the tables upside down. So, you know, if ever you wanted to change something, you have permission now. Um, So it's shaken some of the foundations. And God is the God of creativity, a God of new, a God of, you know, discovery. And I think we have, some churches have actually stepped into the new and the risky and the first time um, in, you know, we've had people reading the Bible via WhatsApp uh, you know, doing Zoom with someone in Scotland. I had a man this morning who's on the journey with his mum in Scotland. So, you know, technology, uh, it doesn't need to hinder us. We don't need to say when we get back to church, then we will. But actually allowing God to use the now, whatever that looks like, because he's not restricted. Mm-hmm. It's just a case of us finding what can we do? What can we do now? And, and one of the being the pastor on your street has been a huge thing in mobilizing yeah. people. So we've been saying to Crossway, um, you are the pastor on your street right now. You can't go to church, but you can be the church. And then getting stories back of people actually doing that, you know, buying coffee vouchers for the neighbors and delivering them and saying, uh, you know, we we're praying for you at this time, or a couple in a retirement village, uh, going around some of the people in the retirement village and being Jesus. And so I I have great hope and encouragement that the church will be mobilized and discover what it is to actually be the church, that it's not a building, that it's not that consumeristic thing, but it's actually we have the authority that Jesus has given us to be Jesus. So if your neighbors don't know that Jesus loves you, why don't they know? Because you're their neighbor. Yes. Okay, so, she's, she's getting punchy. She's better yeah. to start preaching, I think. Come on, bring it, Eddie. Love that, Love that Jesus said, little children, my father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Mm. And mm. so it is that mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. Yeah. Uh, I find great hope in a more candid willingness amongst Christian leaders to embrace truth, that Australian Christianity is in its seventh decade of decline. And it's because sometimes you've got to face the, you know, the, the tough truth to be actually willing to secure some traction for a different way of thinking. Mm. We can't just go same, same. And, uh, and if, if we go same, same for another decade, we'll see another decade of decline. Yes. So uh, a, a fresh kind of coming back to the words, ways and works of Jesus, so a fresh coming back to kind of rethinking, okay, how do we do this thing with an eye for impact? Because I actually think God cares about that. Uh, sometimes when people redefine well done, good and faithful servant, they want to think of faithfulness as doing the same thing for a very long time, but it's actually mm. a declaration about impact and Good. fruitfulness. Yes. They were faithful to being fruitful, not yeah. just faithful to a, yeah. to a method that was ineffective. Yeah. That's a little bit more like the guy who hid his talent. Mm. Yes. He came back with no impact, mm. but I, I knew you were tough taskmaster and all that sort of stuff, so I hid it. But look, I'm bringing it back. You, know, you put this church into my hands and, oh, it was a tough environment and, oh, you know, no one wanted to change. It was all too hard. Look, I'm bringing it. I've served here for 10 years. Nothing at all has changed. But, hey, look, I, but I've been faithful. It's like, no, 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 our faithfulness was actually to fruitfulness, mm-hmm. not just to doing things that don't work. Yeah. And so my hope is that the pain is getting sufficiently high, uh, not to crush people, but to cause us to review how we do what we do in the mission of God in Australia. Yeah. Yes. Oh. That's how yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and your willingness to share with us, you guys. You're such an encouragement yes. to us and to the body of Christ in Australia. Deeply thankful for you both. Our pleasure. Bless you guys.
And that was amazing. I, I, like we love this too, and and hopefully you know everyone that got to watch that and or listen to it, you got to see just how delightful they are as human beings. Like and and that I think you know we don't talk about that enough, but sometimes when you're people of faith, you just want to be delightful human beings that are compelling by your nature. Um, and look, if you're interested in getting on board with some of those evangelism and discipleship strategies, they are free. Follow them up. Building a discipling culture is the discipleship process. My church is about to go through that starting this year. I'm really, really excited to take a group through that. And Discovery Bible Method is the evangelism method we talked about. You can Google both of them. There's a clear breakdown of the Discovery Bible Method on Crossway's website. And you are absolutely going to love getting involved in that. You'll have to step out of your comfort zone exactly like Come Katie on. said at the start. But that is where faith comes in. And we know that. We just have to do it. Well, as always, we are just encouraging you. We'd love it if you'd like, subscribe, follow us, do all the good things, review us, all that stuff. Five stars only. Anything under five stars (laughs) is unacceptable. Um, We just want to be affirmed if we haven't made that really clear. Uh, Hawksy, (laughs) who have we got coming up next week? Next week. Next episode. We have got Pocket Rocket Pastor Josh Greenwood, who is the lead pastor of Influencers South Australia. Yes. And um, he's a legend. Great eyewear. Very clean shoes all of the time. So he's got a lot of good stuff to share. We talk Chilean about, ancestry. Chilean ancestry. His middle name is something ridiculous. Ernest. Ernest, gracious me. <laughs> we talked young adult ministry, discipleship culture, how to shift an AOG culture, ACC culture, mm-hmm. um, and what it looks like to steward somebody else's vision and um, essentially, yeah, be reporting to your boss in America. Yes. So he's a great listen. So join us next week. We can't wait to share it with you. See you then. Bye.